Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am joined by the great Joe Masato on this fine morning. We are brought to you by the Oklahoma. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. The Thunder was back home. We covered a, uh, a game at Paycom Center last night. All is well in the world, Michael. Well, we've got a special announcement because it is your birthday by the time this is released. You joined some great company. I looked up some celebrity birthdays. Same birthday as Beethoven, J.B. Smoove, <laughs> and William the Refrigerator Perry, Joe. So you're in great, great standing there. That's, that's pretty cool. I knew Beethoven. Um, that's kind of like... You know the uh, the most famous person on that list, JB Smoove. That's really cool. I'm a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan, so um, Leon um, and uh, yeah, Refrigerator Perry. We don't have a ton in common, but um, what a what a guy! What a list. <laughs> That's right. Who just use their you know brute force, you know, big imposing people. Um, yeah. They, they used to call me Refrigerator Masato back in high school, so uh, that makes sense. <laughs> well, anyways, we hope you have a good birthday. Do you have any good birthday stories or a best birthday gift you've ever received before we get into the game? Oh, boy. Um, putting me on the spot with, with that one. Um, not like... I can't think of really like one in particular that, that stands out. I am a... I, I usually, um, I mean, you're putting me on the spot here. I usually, you know, shy away from making my birthday a big deal. Usually spend it with loved ones, friends, and family. Eat some good food. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that's about it. Should be good. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy that. But like you talked about, pretty entertaining game last night with the Thunder and the Heat. The Thunder end up losing 110 to 108 in dramatic fashion and one of the weirder thunder games of the season which is kind of saying a lot honestly but what did you see yeah i mean it was like um like an offensive case study for um you know how teams can arrive at nearly the same score but go about it different ways just with the way this one ended and before we get to that ending what I'm talking about is the heat dominated the thunder from behind the arc 72 to 27 the heat outscored um, the thunder from three-point range and the thunder as they tend to do dominated the heat from the paint 62 to 20 so we talked about the the math problem that the Thunder had in Dallas. They they also had the same math problem against the Miami Heat. This was actually the first game of the season that the Thunder shot at least fifty percent and lost. Previously, they were five and zero when shooting fifty percent plus from the field. The Heat shot forty three percent, so the Thunder was more efficient. But Miami had those three balls going. Sixteen of twenty nine in the first half. 
a Miami Heat record for most threes and a half, a Thunder opponent record for most threes and a half, and the most made threes and a half in any NBA half this season. So we uh, we witnessed history, Michael. That's was, that was pretty cool. I always like seeing history. Yeah, usually they like to see it on the other side of the floor, maybe the Thunder <laughs> making some history, but it just felt like an avalanche from three. You and I were sitting there, and it just felt like every single shot, it's like, oh, well, that's got to go in. That's got to go in. There was mm-hmm. one where I know you and I kind of braced for impact on it because it bounced up, hit the top of the backboard, hit the shot clock, and looked like it was going to rattle in, but just an all-time shooting night for the Heat, which is pretty remarkable for the Thunder to stay as competitive as they were through that game. Obviously, the Heat kind of cooled off no pun intended in the second half from three but it was um one of those games where it could definitely get out of hand for a young team but they were able to hold on through uh, halftime and kind of claw their way back you know it's really easy to make unintended puns with the Miami Heat when we're talking about like hot shooting like it's just it's just bound to happen and you know we're uh, we're trying our best to avoid them um but yeah, I, I thought it was impressive just how the Thunder withstood that barrage because the Heat start the second quarter on a 23-4 to run. And it's like, oh boy, this one uh, is slipping away fast. And then from the 335 mark in the third quarter, um, excuse me, from the 335 mark in the second quarter to the early minutes of the third quarter, the Thunder goes on a 22-3 to run. Um and the Thunder, which has made a knack for falling behind big and then coming back down by 21 in this one, uh, take the lead as soon as the third quarter, and it set up for a pretty dramatic finish. Yeah, I've started jokingly, like in a tongue-in-cheek way, telling people the Thunder games don't actually start until they trail by 10. That's when it actually really starts going. They give them a little bit of a lead, and then it's like, okay, now we'll start trying. But I think you can bump that to 15. You might be right. I mean, there are some games where it's got to be 20 or 25, and then everybody wakes up, and it's like, oh. But just a yeah. weird game. Um, Darius Baisley started in his first game since March of last year. I thought he did a pretty good job, especially in the first half. Um bringing some energy uh, looked like he was much needed on the floor for a team with a lot of slow starts usually and then uh, did a pretty solid job on Bam Adebayo on the other end I think that's good analysis I thought Baisley did bring some energy and, and we've talked about slow starts I mean really this was just it got away from them in the second quarter they actually started better than usual um, you know maybe not because of of Darius Baisley, um, but he he brought them good energy. You know, he he's just a um, he's just a really. Let's see here. I think I use the word fascinating too much, but I'm fascinated by Darius Baisley and just his usage because this is a guy that was a two year starter, basically. I mean, a a one year starter, absolutely full time, and last year a most of the time starter who had entered tonight with more DNPs than starts, two DNPs, zero starts. Um, But then he starts that game against the Heat, you know, plays pretty well defensively. You still see some of the same Darius basically offensively, but it's like, you know, when he's going to be used and how he's going to be used and where he's going to play and like when he's going to get into the game, it's like you never know with most of this Thunder team, but especially with Darius Baisley. But Baisley has a big couple of weeks coming up because Jeremiah Robinson Earl um, suffered what Mark Dagnalt described as an impressive ankle sprain. He's going to be out. uh, He's week to week, not day to day. 
So week to week would tell me at least one week, probably multiple weeks, and um, that's really going to leave the door open for Darius Baisley. Not not to necessarily start. They could have started Poku tonight, um, but to, to play more minutes and to sort of like prove his worth for this team. Absolutely. I mean, he's entering a contract year right now, so this is huge for him. And um, a lot of Thunder fans have talked about, you know, maybe he's on his way out. Maybe he's a trade candidate. So this is a really good opportunity for him, just given the circumstance with JRE out, Ken Rich is missing some time and some other guys to be one of the few bigs on the roster who can give them some of those minutes. So we'll see what if he can uh, capitalize on it. But he was great last night just um, capitalizing on the fact that he did get the opportunity to start. So that was nice to see. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, maybe he shows the Thunder something. Maybe he shows another team something. I, I still think it's more likely than not that he will be moved before the trade deadline just because, you know, the Thunder did not agree to an extension with him. Like you said, he's um, uh, entering restricted free agency, kind of like what the Thunder did with Hamidou Diallo. Maybe you try to get a second-round pick out of it um, just because he's likely going to walk anyway. I don't think they're going to, you know, give him a big offer sheet or anything like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the Baisley situation plays out. Then another solid game from Shea, 27 points, which is underwhelming based on how good his season has been, which is just crazy to say. He only gets to the free throw line six uh, six times, goes six of six. I think that was kind of the big determining factor for him of just uh, the night, but I thought Shea played well. Shea was great. Um, I want to talk about the free throws, and I want to talk about his last shot. So uh, Tyler Hero for the Heat, who was incredible, 35 points, career high, um, hits the go-ahead jumper, um, dribbled the clock out for 20 seconds before getting a switch against Aaron Wiggins, hits the mid-range jumper, timeout, Thunder, Thunder runs an inbounds play, tries to get it to a cutting Lou Dort, gets knocked out of bounds, timeout Thunder again, let's run this thing back. Now they're inbounding from the baseline, and Josh Giddy gets Shea the basketball, and Shea sort of falling away. Um, Caleb Martin is defending him. The shot is well short, and not only short, but it hits the side of the backboard, and we, we talked about it after the game. It was nothing like blatant where it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they didn't call that. But it was one of those late game situations where the rest probably swallowed their whistles, which for the most part I like. Um, but it did look like there was some contact on the hand. Shea said he felt some contact. Um, and then, you know, it looked like Giddy was, you know, w- wondering about, you know, searching for a foul call as well as he got that offensive rebound and he was kind of stuck under the rim and just hit the bottom of the of the basket basically but that that scramble at the end was interesting and um I don't know what was, what was your perspective on how that played out it just felt it felt weird because there was all this contact and all these things happening and then no call and the referees basically sprinted right off the floor right after as Mark and Shay and Giddy were all trying to talk to them and just not having it um, later on, Mark and the presser talked about having an experienced crew and being th- very thankful for that. But it was just very, very weird. There were a lot of um, 50-50 calls down the stretch. I mean, you had the one where Shea, obviously it goes off uh, off of him. That's where they had the coaches challenge. But you can't review it if it's a foul, only for it to go out of bounds. I saw some people on Twitter upset about that. 
and then just the contact on the last couple of those plays. I like what you said about, I agree, like referees slowing the whistle, but when you have slow motion, you have replay that, like this, and you can just go back and look, it's hard to argue the other way whenever you're constantly looking at the same angle over and over and over and seeing these guys get hit, but this is just kind of sometimes how the uh, cookie crumbles, and sometimes you'll get these calls, sometimes you won't. Uh, but I hope that the Thunder, you know, I asked Josh about this last night, about not getting a sour taste in their mouth because they had such a great comeback and such a great game to not let it kind of get soured from just how the game ended. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Mark noting the the seasoned veteran officiating crew. And unless you've really, really been following what's going on, maybe that goes over your head, but it was a very pointed response and a very intentional response. And I will preface it by saying this, that it's no secret in the NBA that good teams, high-profile teams, teams with a lot of stars, teams that play on national television, they usually get better officiating crews. And by better, I mean more experienced, the the officials that you see in the playoffs and, and all of that. Um, teams that are rebuilding, not on national TV, um, usually get crews that, you know, sometimes just graduated from the G League or don't have that much experience. And these are still the best of the best in in the world. But in comparison to some of their colleagues, you know, not as experienced. And the Thunder, game after game, has sort of been dealt officials um, that don't have a ton of experience And that's why Mark was so careful not to criticize anything last night. Um, I just want to read his, it's a little long, but I'm going to read it here. He's addressing the officiating. Quote, here's what I'll say about that in all honesty. Ed Malloy, Brent Barnacki, Leon Wood, those guys have done 3,000 career games, and they've done 175 playoff games, and we do not get crews like that. So let's pause here. 3,000 career games over 175 playoff games. There there was some research done before Mark Dagnall took the podium last night. Okay, he continues. That's probably the most experienced, seasoned, trustworthy crew we've had in a year, and it's one of the most trustworthy crews, experienced crews that we've had in two years. I'm not going to complain about them one bit because we'll take a crew of that experience level every night. We'll take them again Friday. We'll take them again Saturday. They're always going to miss plays, but you can't have uh, you can't replace having a steady hand on the game. Um, Super savvy from Mark Dagnalt there, a young coach who is sending a message via a compliment. It's like you can't get fined if you compliment the officiating crew, even though shrouded within that compliment was a complaint about, you know, getting crews that maybe aren't so great. Um, So uh, just a a really, you know, behind the scenes look at the push and pull and the political dynamics and the, the league dynamics of everything that goes into these referee assignments. Very savvy. I mean, I remember the Shea one from earlier this season where he's like, yeah, referees make mistakes. They're human too. So great PR by the Thunder to the referees here. Let's see if it pans out at any point. But just to finish up on this game, got to talk a little bit about Tyler Hero. You mentioned the last shot that he hit, but he was just incredible. He has 35 points, one off his uh, career high, tying it for 36. He goes 12 of 23 from the field, 9 of 17 from three. Tyler Hero had as many made threes by himself as the entire Thunder team last night. And then we joked about this in the presser about um, 
one game sample size for plus minus doesn't always mean anything, but he was the best player on the floor last night and he was a net zero. Yeah. Um, they, they needed all, all 35 though. I'll, I'll tell you that, especially on a night when, you know, the heat is not a very good offensive team. I think they entered the night of bottom 10 offense and that's with, you know, I know Jimmy Butler's been out some, but he was also out last night. Injury management. Um, so without Jimmy Butler, like someone has to be on the attack and that was Tyler hero. I thought he was marvelous. Um, that last possession, they clear out for him. And, you know, Dort's on him. He gets the switch against Wiggins. I thought Wiggins hung with him really well on that last possession. Hero just hit a tough shot um, over Wiggins' outstretched arm. So big big night for big night for Tyler Hero. Um, there, there was a lot of former Kentucky Wildcats on the floor with him and Bam Adebayo and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. None of the three played together. Together, but they were all back-to-back-to-back years, if I'm remembering that right. So kind of fun to see those guys. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, Aaron Wiggins, you know, just a, a pros pro winning player. Aaron Wiggins gives them some more nice minutes. Um, Poku and Trey Mann did not have great nights. They did not play in the second half. Uh, Lou Dort was really solid. It kind of under-the-radar game, but 4-7 from 3, or around 50% from 3. He was really efficient. And then um, just wanted to talk about, I really enjoyed last night some of the Eric Spolstra commentary between him and the referees talking about Eugene Omarui, who uh, you enjoyed the comp I made last night of he looked like the football player in high school who joins the basketball team midseason and is like not ready to play basketball and is just hitting people. But he was throwing his body all around. And then um, last thing I'll say is uh, another great J-Dub night. Yeah, J-Dub was... Awesome. Six of 10. He's continues to be remarkably efficient. Not a great Eugene night, although I can't get enough of Eugene Omarui just because he doesn't look like a normal NBA player, as you've alluded to. Um, I don't even want to say not a good night from Trey Mann. He hardly played. I mean, of, of every Thunder player who saw the floor, he played the fewest minutes. And it's becoming quite the conundrum, especially for a guy who had so much hype and showed so much promise before the season and early on this season. And it's still really early. I'm wondering if there's any lingering effects of that back issue. Um, Not, not exactly sure what's going on there. I mean, maybe the answer is, you know, Mark Dignall's rotations continue to be unpredictable and, and that's part of it, but they, you know, Mark has raved about Trey Mann's improved defense and energy and effort and how it doesn't matter if the shot's falling or not, but he, you know, maybe it is an injury related thing, but he did not play a lot or well last night. So something to watch moving forward. The good news is everything, but the shot is looking good for Trey. The bad news is the shot is the most important thing and that's not looking great right now. So hopefully, he can, yeah, especially for him, like he's in there to make shots. Yeah, hopefully he can bounce back soon. I think the back thing is, like you mentioned, is a big factor for him. Maybe it is something where he just needs to take a little bit more time to heal and maybe not play through this. Or I'm sure they'll find something. The coaching staff is really smart, but we'll see Trey Mann again. I'm sure he'll bounce back in um, the coming time. Hopefully, upcoming in this uh, home stand that looks like it's going to last forever. But moving on. The new NBA awards. Do you like the new NBA awards, Joe? You know, I like that they're 
I think the short answer is yes. I think it was far past time that something was named for Michael Jordan. Um, I, I don't really care about like the old, well, I don't want to offend his family. No one really knows the, the old commissioner or whoever's name was, was on this MVP trophy. Um, before Michael Jordan, obviously they, they renamed the other ones. We'll get into that. I do like, I like that in general. I, I always wonder like, how are these names going to age? Because eventually, you know, some of the great players we have now are going to be out of the league and you're going to want their names on something. So I'm almost wondering if, you know, we're going to have another update, you know, 50 years, 25 years from now, just, uh, I'm not a trophy designer. I don't know if you knew that. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of like the, the figurine, the gold, uh, whatever we want to call it encased in the glass. I kind of like the, the standalone statue that that's not, um, trapped within something. I don't know if I'm explaining myself and, and I'm, I'm probably not. So everyone should go look at these, uh, the pictures of the trophy, but I'm not a huge fan of the design of the trophies. I don't disagree. I like the MVP one. I like the change on that. The classic one is also very nice, but the other ones are just kind of like glass cylinders with a guy encased in it. And I like the uniqueness of the different awards. And I wish that was something that kind of stayed where you have, you know, the defensive player of the year now is the Hakeem Olajuwon trophy. Have some type of Hakeem block on there or something and not just a guy in a stance or something. You know, just very nitpicky, but... I like the idea of the new awards. You uh, hit the nail on the head where at some point we're going to need a LeBron James award. That's going to have to happen. Uh, They've named some different awards. They had the Kobe Bryant All-Star Game one, the Bill Russell Finals MVP. They did Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals MVPs with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. So I'm sure there are plenty of players. They'll run out of awards before they run out of players. But what I wanted to do is we were going to go through these different awards, starting with the Michael Jordan MVP award and... See if we could um, name those awards after a current or former Thunder player, and we can talk about who and why we uh, chose them. Are you ready, Joe? Let's do this. I'm so excited for this. All right. I will let you start here with the Michael Jordan MVP. Who is your Thunder MVP representative here? There are two obvious choices, um, but I'm going to go with Kevin Durant. The Kevin Durant MVP trophy, the Thunder's first MVP, the iconic MVP um, speech. The I, I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't want to like debate, you know, or like dive into people's emotions and feelings about Kevin Durant. But the the best player to put on a Thunder uniform, maybe not the Thunder's greatest player given R- Russell Westbrook's longevity and what he meant as the guy who stayed. Obviously, Westbrook would be a fine choice for this, but I'm going with Kevin Durant. Yeah, I uh, can't really argue with that. He's the first MVP in Thunder history. He's the most talented and best player in, in, in uh, Thunder history. I think people would say, well, he's not the greatest. That's a whole different argument. Like you said, we're not going to get into I went the other way with Russell Westbrook, his MVP season where he averaged a triple-double for the first time since Oscar Robertson, where nobody thought that could ever happen. It was the season after Durant left where the roster was sort of in shambles, and he pulls them together to get to the sixth seed. He averaged 31 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and just ridiculous uh, stats and ridiculous moments. But um, I'll, I'll go with Russell Westbrook on that one for my MVP. 
Maybe they could hyphenate that one, like the Durant Westbrook Thunder uh, MVP trophy. Yeah, we need it. Like, I want a longer name on the trophy than like Shea's jersey on the back. I want it to stretch <laughs> off. But moving on, we've got the Jerry West Clutch Player of the Year. Who do you have for that? The I guess the clutchest player in Thunder history. Who comes to your mind? Okay, so I feel like the way I uh, I picked these awards in order of how I picked them make more sense than going in this order, but I really like this um, because other names you might think of are going to come up later in this program. I'm picking Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and maybe that's recency bias, but we have seen Shea, um, you know, him, as, as, as we say, hit some very clutch shots. Um, the game winner against the Clippers last season, uh, the huge shot at Staples Center against the Lakers um, last season, the game winner against the Wizards this season. Um, I haven't looked this morning, but was the leader in clutch points uh, this season. So so he's done it even this year. Um, just seems to be a guy that you're comfortable with the ball in his hands late in the game. So the Shea Gilgis Alexander Clutch Award, if you can fit all that on one trophy. Yeah, that'll have to be a wraparound <laughs> name and title on there. But yeah, he's been clutch this year. I can't really argue with that. He's been clutch since he got with the Thunder. Um, he's been a clutch free throw shooter, which was fun last night when I asked him about going from 80% across the board to 93% this year. And a lot of guys, you know, they try to improve on their free throws and they can't. And he took a long pause and he goes, I just try to imagine every free throw is a game winner and it's worked so far. And then he knocked on the wooden table for uh, good luck there. But yeah, can't <laughs> yeah, argue with good. Shea. I will, on, on the other end, I had Chris Paul in his one season with the Thunder which it didn't end properly as they lose in Game 7 of the Rockets, but his true shooting percentage outside of clutch time was 60.9% and then rose to 67.8% whenever it got to the final five minutes within five points. He just had all those turnaround jump shots, those mid-range shots, and I don't know if you remember, but just like every fourth quarter just turned into Chris Paul time and he would just take over, and it felt like he was always going to come out on top. Oh, I, I remember it well. I remember it well. And uh, Chris Paul was second on my ballot. Um, may, maybe he gets knocked a little bit for only being here for one season. But that was such an overachieving team. And it makes no sense that they were as good as they were. And part of it, you know, wasn't really sustainable over the long term. It really had to do with how much better they were than their opponents in clutch time. And that was all Chris Paul. That was that mid-range jumper. He was just money from there, had a total handle on the game. So um, Chris Paul would have been my second choice, but it is a, a very good pick by you. I appreciate it. My second choice for that one was Russell Westbrook for his MVPs in, uh, MVP season as well. I didn't make any rules for this or tell you, but I just decided not to put anybody for the uh, to win multiple awards. But Russ, just some cartoonish clutch numbers during his MVP season, which was a big part of why he won MVP that some people forget. And then we'll move on to the Keem Olajuwon Defensive Player of the Year trophy. Who comes to mind whenever you think of defenders in Thunder history? Defensive Player of the Year. There's some pretty good answers for this one. I went with Andre Robertson um, just because he was such uh, an impact defender on – really good Thunder teams and a guy that is like known solely for his defense. Um, and you know, that's, that's the reason he was in the NBA. So I, I went with Andre Robertson also 
you know, had such a tough finish to, to his career with that injury. Um, I've got two more names I listed, but I think you're going to name one of them, so I'll, I'll let you go ahead. Had to go with Air Congo, Serge Ibaka, to this day is still the best shot blocker in Thunder history and came in second in Defensive Player of the Year voting in 2012 behind Tyson Chandler. Just a monster defensively on the block, just swatting shots and leading to a lot of those fun Thunder fast breaks with Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. Um, he's not the type of guy like Robertson where you can kind of just put him on anybody, but still effective nonetheless, as you're seeing with a Thunder team this year with no real rim protection. Yes, yeah, Serge Ibaka was one of the two, one of the three I considered, and the other one is Lou Dort. I think you gotta you gotta throw a Lou Dort in there if he sticks around and keeps playing this kind of defense. For sure, yeah. I just um, I'll take Serge. I guess I'm going more nostalgia on all these. You're the only one of the current players so far, but maybe that'll change going forward. Uh, next up. We have the Wilt Chamberlain Rookie of the Year. Who is the best rookie that comes to your mind in Thunder history? Okay, I've got to I've got to make sure my my list is right. Okay, well, I mean, bring up the recency bias again. I struggled with this one. I went with I went with Josh Giddy. Um, Josh Giddy would have been so Kevin Durant in my mind doesn't count for this because he was not a rookie with with the Thunder Josh Giddy would have been a surefire first team all rookie had he played more than 54 games um, obviously got shut down with that hip injury but 12 and a half points per game 7.8 rebounds 6.4 assists um, shot 42 percent from the floor started all 54 games that he played in and played 32 minutes per game and um, as much as you can ask for from the sixth overall pick. Um, so I think Josh Giddy is a fine choice here. This is the first one we agree on. I had Josh Giddy as well. I had the <laughs> same reasoning for Durant where I was like, well, he played for the Sonics. I'm not putting that on there. I had Barry in the back of my head because he talked about the best Thunder rookie seasons of all time, but I was not going to be stopped. I was picking Josh anyways. Like you mentioned, he won – Rookie of the Month every single month except for one last year and should have been first-team all-rookie if it wasn't for that. But youngest triple-double in NBA history, one of the younger players in the league playing last year and blew away all expectations and had a really nice year. Yeah, all um, all all good reasons. Are, are we down to – how many are we down to now? We have the sixth man of the year and most improved left. Okay, so we'll which go to one are we going to? So we man here right now. This is a layup. Um, I'm uh, notice how I'm going first on all these to take uh, what I see as the obvious answer. It's James Harden, who won Sixth Man of the Year in 2011-12. Um, I don't think it's uh, <laughs> it's well known around here that James Harden was not a starter for the Thunder and that he came off the bench and what a player he was in those three seasons um, off the bench. So the James Harden sixth man of the year trophy. Yeah, there's no argument against that. I also had James Harden, but instead I'll just shine some light on, I guess, who should be number two, and that's Dennis Schroeder, who probably still should have won the sixth man of the year during the 2020 season during the bubble. Yeah. I think he lost to Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, who get bounced out in that 3-1 lead loss to Denver. But Schroeder was incredible that season. We talked about the clutch numbers with that uh, three-guard lineup and with Chris Paul and with Shea that year, but Schroeder was a big part of that as well, and 
I just wanted to show him some uh, love and recognition here, even if we have James Harden as the best sixth man in Thunder history. I also considered a guy who has his jersey hanging in the rafters, Nick Collison, just because it seemed like something maybe should be named after him. Um, but, you know, not not a traditional, like, sixth man. It, we, we usually think of scores, but, you know, was primarily a, a bench player and, you know, had a good, had a nice little connection there with James Harden. So Collison would have been second for me. Very nice. And then last but not least, I didn't know that George Mikan was this guy who improved all that much. I'm, I try to be a basketball historian. Maybe I'll ask Barry about that, but the George Mikan most improved trophy. Who do you have for that? So by default, I, I chose Russell Westbrook for this because I had not yet named something after Russell Westbrook. And that felt like a bit of an oversight considering um, he's uh, the greatest Thunder player in history, not the best. I I know we've made that um, distinction before, but something has got to be named after him. I thought this one does fit because, you know, there were questions early in his career about, you know, is this guy a point guard or sort of what is he? He was kind of a trailblazer for, you know, playing the position in that way with that much force, putting that much pressure on defenses. And, you know, I think over time, obviously his reputation improved to to such a degree that, you know, he's winning MVP, he's winning scoring titles. Um, And, you know, just from from where he was that rookie year where it's like, you know, I, I don't know if this guy has a great feel for the game to where he got. I think he was, I think he improved quite a bit. Yeah, that's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I had him for the earlier one, but there's there's no argument against that. I had Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I also wanted to fit him in here somewhere, but just a level of improvement and leaps that he, and bounds he's taken every single year. You could even just say most improved just from last year to this year, but every single year he gets better and better and better, and we talk about Shea having no ceiling, but I'm not ready to put a cap on him because he's shown every single year that he has a willingness and a determination to just improve and get better and better. So I had Shea for that one. That might end up being the correct answer as soon as this season. I, I mean, there's he's one of the favorites right now for most improved player of the year. And I, I think, you know, we talked about Durant and Westbrook, MVP, Harden, one sixth man. If um, if Shea wins most improved, I think we're I think I'm going to have to rename the Russell Westbrook most improved trophy to the Shea Gilgis Alexander most improved trophy, and therefore I'm going to have to change clutch player from Shea to someone else, and then I'm going to have to bump somebody out to get Westbrook in there. So it's going to create a huge mess for me if Shea wins Sixth Man of the Year this season. We'll let Shea know that. Just hey, if we made a podcast yeah. and we made a on list. my imaginary about uh, on my imaginary award, my, my imaginary <laughs> hypothetical ballot, and I just really appreciate it if you could just slow down just a little bit because I'd like to keep this going. But before we get out of here, we got one more segment here. The Thunder have lost their last four straight games, which is not great, but as it's been beaten like a drum that we've talked about and a lot of other people have talked about, they have their next six straight games at home. So what do you think is their record over the next six? And when do you think their next win is? I'm going to say four and two. How about that? They're on, they're on a four game losing streak, but um, I thought they were going to go one and four on that road trip. They played better than expected two and three, but all the games were close. So I'm going to go four and two here, and I'm going to say the Thunder gets their first win on 
Oh man, I depending on when this podcast comes out, this is a dangerous pick. But I'm going to say they they get a win Friday, um, at home against the Timberwolves, the the fourth and final meeting uh, between the Timberwolves and Thunder. So I'm going to say that's a win. I'm going to say Grizzlies is a loss. I'm going to say the Thunder sweep the Trailblazers in that Monday Wednesday baseball series. And then I'm going to say the Thunder gets a win at home against the San Antonio Spurs on December 27th to finish the next six games, four and two. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I did get it right with our road trip there, not through any like credit to my own. I don't. I said that they would beat uh, Minnesota or Atlanta, and they got both and then lost the rest of them. But pretty nice streak. I'm not going to be as optimistic as you on this one where you think that they'll have a winning record. I'll say that they just break even. I have the same thing. I think they win tomorrow night or I guess tonight when this releases against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Lose to Memphis. I think they split the series with Portland. You can just take whichever game you want. I think they win one of them. Um, New Orleans, I think that's a loss, and then I think they get another win against the San Antonio Spurs, but should be very interesting, especially like we talked about with some of these injuries with Baisley being the starter or playing a lot of minutes, and maybe Usman Jang gets brought up, but it should be very intriguing to see how the team um, functions over these next six games. Yeah, very important stretch. Everything is is going well in Thunderland because all we're talking about is how much Shea has improved. Giddy's back on track. J-Dub's been awesome. They're playing close games, and yet they're, uh, they they have one fewer losses than the Houston Rockets do. And uh, when you look at the upside-down standings, they're in pretty good shape right now. And no one's no one's no one's saying the T word. No one's going that. No, no one's doing that because it'd be ridiculous too. Um, that that's not what's going on here. And they've been a ton better than the Rockets and the Spurs if you look at point differential. But the standings are pretty close. So you know if if all of this development and you know the the good feelings are are in the air. And if all that happens and the Thunder still winds up with a pretty good pick, I think it's going to be like the best of both worlds for OKC. Yeah, it's easy to just look at the W's and the losses and the columns and just say, oh, well, this team's better than this team. But the context does matter, like you said, with the point differential. And the Thunder are very competitive in all these games. The Rockets might have only one more loss than the Thunder, but I'm sure that those losses have been very, very heavy and the wins are kind of far and few between. Whereas the Thunder, the few the losses they do have have all come in pretty competitive games. I'm sure there's one or two games I'm blanking on that they've been blown out. One of them was by Houston. But it doesn't feel like there's a ton of games where the Thunder are just like, all right, let's pack it in. They have no chance tonight after the first few quarters or something. Yeah, something about uh, weird, weird stuff happens when the Thunder plays in, in Houston. Um they got blown out by like 30 something last year in, in that game this year but yeah that's uh th- things are going well I, I think everyone everyone should be quite pleased yeah there's stuff to be optimistic about we're not going to use the t word as you talked about they're not in a bad spot in the reverse uh standings if you're a victor Wimbenyama fan but um this season like we talked about is just great are, are there people who aren't victor Wimbenyama fans or is, is there anyone who's like oh man i don't think i don't i don't see it with that guy the worst take that I've seen is somebody who said, why are we getting excited about Victor Wimbanyama when Bull Bull is already in the NBA? Which was just a ridiculous now, statement. I'll, I'll give I'll give them props for like creativity and humor. Um, 
because man, Bol Bol, he's in my top five of like current players favorite to, to watch right now. Just so, so strange in every way. So I like Bol Bol, but you know, come on now that, that that's a, that's a little ridiculous looking at, um, uh, tankathon.com and not, not, not using the word, but just, uh, talking about a website that uh, we wrote a feature about last year. So check that out. Um, but the Thunder is seventh in the reverse standings right now. 31.9% chance of landing a top four pick. They'll take that all day long. And a 7.5% chance at landing the um, the very tall Frenchman that we've uh, mentioned. Yeah, it's got to be lucky sometimes. And with the seven spots, since they flattened the lottery odds, the number seven pick has jumped up every single time. It was actually Sacramento who had the seventh odds last year and then jumped up to four. So who knows? We're not going to put all our eggs in one basket, but, you know, anything can happen here. Um, we're going to anticipate the worst and maybe uh, see what happens as the best. I thought I had something going there, but I uh, lost train of thought. I thought I was going to be very clever there, but... It's been very fun, Joe. I hope you have a great birthday. Well, thanks, man. I uh, I thought you were gonna go. I, I'm gonna bungle it too. But you know, Presti had his whole anticipations, assumptions. I think it's a Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam lyrics or whatever that he uh, that he said in his uh, uh, preseason interview. But um, yeah, this was this was fun as always. I I can't wait. Until you know, someone does a mock-up of of these awards that we've created with these these names on them, and um, maybe we'll we'll hand them out to future Thunder players, and they'll they'll mean nothing to to anybody except us. That'd be great. I'd love to have a Rookie of the Year Wilt Chamberlain trophy that's like written in crayon on a piece of paper, and I get to <laughs> hand that to Josh Giddy and just go, "Congratulations, dude, you won." Should have gone, gone with, with like, like the, the Rookie of the Year, like like Josh Hall award or, you know, um, most improved Poku, my man, Poku, he, he's up there for most improved. Um, although things aren't going great now, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to like make this a yearly segment and see how much has changed. Maybe not yearly. That's a little much. I think Westbrook and Durant would be up there, but, um, God willing, if we're still doing this uh, five years down the road, we're going to run this one back. For sure. The only thing I wish that would have been changed is the NBA to go very niche, where it's like the Tyreek Evans or Michael Carter Williams Rookie of the Year. Just the guys who yes. are only good as rookies. Just like where people look at the awards later and they're like, who? It's like, you yeah. don't, do you not know that Tyreek Evans was like the greatest rookie of all time? Just jokingly. But it's been fun, Joe. I'll let you get out of here and get to your festivities. Uh, do you have anything to plug before we finally get out of here? Um, lo- look out for the the oft-mentioned Isaiah Joe feature. Um, other than that, that's, that's about the, the only big thing I'm working on right now. Um, today, as we're recording this, is December 15th, which is an important day on the NBA calendar when pretty much 90% of the league is now eligible to be traded. I would not expect anything, um, I mean, in the next few days or really next few weeks on the Thunder's perspective, but that's always something to watch as we now kind of dip our toes into trade season. For sure, and we'll have all the coverage for you on the Oklahoma. With that, follow Joe, follow myself, follow our Twitter account for the podcast, at ThunderBudPod. I got it right the first time this time. But we'll keep you updated on all those things. And um, thank you so much for listening. We are brought to you by the Oklahoman, and we will be back on Tuesday.
just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.